This episode of Skirmish Supremacy is brought to you again by DeathRayDesigns.com. Their Kickstarter has five days left as of today, which is 3-8-2016. Uh, they are successfully funded. However, I know that they can definitely use the extra help in order to get some of the additional stretch goals that are really, really cool out the door. You can also check out their full range of products at DeathRayDesigns.com. One of the best companies I have seen for any type of MDF terrain. And as usual, if you are in the Atlanta area and you want to stop by and play a game with Nick or myself, you can find us at Gigabytes Cafe, and you can actually find them in Marietta, Georgia. To find out the full set of information on everything that they have, including their food, their drinks, their games, everything, just uh, go to gigabytescafe.com. It's gigabytes-cafe.com. Recording. Recording. That was the start. Oh, okay then. That was that was the clap. the The clap is supposed to be. Then we start the show. Oh it, well, it's it's for synchronization. Whatever. We're just gonna start it then. <laughs> <laughs> Failed a lot. No, totally awesome. All right. Since we have totally screwed the pooch on this one, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. I'm joined again by my co-host, Nick Bogart. He's over here trying to learn some new stuff in order to make our uh, podcast a little fancier. And our guest today is none other than Adam Rosenblum, the guy who is creating a game that just successfully funded on Kickstarter called Parallax. Adam, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. It's... Just great. Happy to be funded. Happy to be here. Thank you for having nice. me. So what did you end up with your final funding goal? Um, we ended up funding at 12500 and I think $43. Like nice. $43 nice. over our first stretch goal. Hey, that's perfect, man. You got the funding. Your game is now successful and, you know, going to be going out there. So, you know, congratulations on that one, man. Thanks. I'm, I can't even tell you how. It's a dream come true. Yeah, definitely. I could. It really I mean, is. So just to give everybody a heads up, just like I normally do with any of uh, my guests that I'm bringing onto the show, uh, Adam, Nick, and I have been kind of talking all week, get, kind of getting to know his product, getting to know a little bit more about him. And uh, I know that uh, anytime you're running a Kickstarter and it's an independent company, it gets stressful. So his week has been a lot of uh, probably lots of graying hairs and probably losing some of those hairs. Yeah, yeah, because most people don't have a Kickstarter. Every time somebody backs, every time somebody unbacks, every time somebody pledges up or drops their pledge, it sends me a nice text and email saying, hey, you're doing something right, you're doing something wrong. And so I'm looking at my phone constantly going, oh, yeah, oh, oh. On every text or every email, my mood changes. So it's been a roller coaster over the last week. So just a yeah. quick note for everybody out there, Kickstarters make you bipolar. 
So <laughs> with that said, man, what did you uh, fill us in about Parallax? Tell us a little bit about it. So the world itself is a world that was uh, split in two. So there's a magic was running wild. The planet couldn't hold it anymore. So it basically split itself in two. Well, there's a, a backstory to that. I don't want to get too much into it until you guys have looked at the book. Um, but there's a whole backstory where one race actually decides to split the, the world into two parts, one magical and one non-magical. So the world can basically heal itself, um, which causes chaos and disarray between the races. 1,500 years later, the world comes back together. But just like our world, if 1,500 years passes, things that seem like mythical creatures and stories have now become reality. So it's people learn how to live together, what to do. It's also created a thing called runic pools, which are magical epicenters, basically, for the world. So that's cool. the backstory on the world itself. Uh, the miniatures themselves are, we made them in two scales, 28 millimeter, which is good for anybody who's looking to use the miniatures in this world, in this game, or in other games. And then we also have a championship scale, which is 35 millimeter based, but I mean, the elephants, the Hodgin race, is about four inches tall for the miniatures. It, it looks Which, like miniature statues. You, you held that one up to the uh, the camera last night, and it it was that was just amazing. It the detail in it just looked awesome, and that was just off the webcam. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely uh, digging on the 35 mils myself. Um, well, in the case of the Hodgin, the 70 mils. I for something about like larger models to me that I can put on a game space usually scream something I'm probably going to play. Well, when we start talking about the miniatures for the game, because when it was a rule set itself, when I first started out, everyone's like, oh yeah, you got a rule set, that's great. But without miniatures, it's just another guy with an idea. So right. when I started talking to Dennis uh, Zarnowski from Savage Forge Miniatures about the miniatures themselves, he's like, well, why don't we make them big if there's only going to be a few on the table? And I'm like, that's a great idea. Um, so he did the first miniatures, and it really made sense because you've only your warband only has like five or six models at most at one time. So on a three foot by three foot table, I mean they really stand out. You're not going to lose them, but they really give presence to the table. Yeah, I I definitely noticed that from uh, even a couple of the videos that you had up online that uh, they, you know, without having a side by side comparison of the twenty eights compared to the thirties and and a live video, I could just tell just by people moving them around that they were much much bigger than what most people are used to seeing on a tabletop, which is really cool. Yeah, do you remember uh, Inquisitor by GW? Uh, that not to let my fanboy show, but that was probably hands down my favorite miniatures game that I've ever played ever. Period. So we did a lot to mimic that, and when it's funny because we had Gav Thorpe write one of our intro stories. Oh, nice. We t- Sorry. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah, and the, the actually the story is free. The unedited, basically, version of it is free online right now. So if you go to our Kickstarter, you can read our first, I think, three updates. It says part one, part two, part three on there. It's the free Gav Thorpe story. That is um, awesome. So we were talking, and he goes, yeah. And I'm like, Inquisitor was like, when I was looking at miniatures and when I learned how to paint and when I was doing all that, Inquisitor, to me, was like the best way to do it. And I love the fact that the miniatures were so big that I didn't have to sit there and go, okay, now where's this one? Or, you know, when you play some other games, you lose it. You lose a miniature behind a piece of terrain. You're not going to lose these miniatures. No, not unless you have giant pieces of terrain on that table. No. And I think the 28 millimeters, which we've gone with, 
capture the same essence of the miniatures, but they let you go with a smaller scale for those who are interested in it. Yeah, then it allows them to fit in and match with other miniatures they might have. So if they are playing like a freeform rule set or something like that out there, you know, having the 28 mils will help them kind of match it with the rest of their stuff. I totally agree. Yeah, uh, you know, like every every time I'm buying miniatures at this point, I'm like, can I use this in Frostgrave? <laughs> it, it's funny. So many people have said that. And I, if you look at the comment section, and uh, like, so what Frostgrave character would this be? And I'm like, I, I, a bunch of people around me play it, but I've been so into this lately. I haven't been able to play any other games. But Frostgrave has been one of the major games that's come up. That's that's understandable. Um, you know, running a Kickstarter is not simple. Right. Yeah. I mean, Frostgrave. It's funny for as much as everybody talks about miniatures that you know, like miniatures are what drive a game. Frostgrave came out of nowhere as like a game that said, "Yeah, we've got miniatures. If we if you use them, we don't care. Buy the rule books and play the game." And it it's blown up because of it. That's pretty cool. You know, the the interesting thing, you know, for an aside is uh, is the fact that they, they are. They just keep coming out with, here's this little micro expansion. It's 5 or $10. And you get so much more content for it. And yeah, they make miniatures for it. But then they're like, but, you know, that's just, that's just bonus. That's cool. Yeah, yeah I don't think we're going to do a lot of human models. I think we talked about that last night a little bit uh, on the chat. Because, I mean, human models for medieval times, I mean, it's really hard to make a good one that, that stands out that you're not like, well, why am I buying your model? Why wouldn't I buy the ones or use the ones I already have? And right. It, it makes I mean, sense. I mean, fantasy has been done to death at this point when it comes time to human models that anything you come out with, somebody's going to find a comparison to something else. Yeah. Patrick Keith did our, um, our human devoid which the, the hand sculpted one and I love it, but it reminds me so much of the Manhunter from privateer press. And I'm like, okay, so people could use this for privateer press, but they could easily use the Manhunter or the, or any of those alt sculpts for the Manhunter in this game and be just as good. Cause same yeah. scale. Now that you mention it, like the similarities definitely popping out. I could see that. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure if he sculpted the Manhunter or not, but I mean, there's, a lot of similar. I'm looking at it going, wow, it's, it's really close. Not 20% different at least, but you know, it's really close. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the game itself, how it plays. You have a totally different direction on a miniatures game, which I appreciate because you're pushing it more towards a miniatures slash RPG hybrid. Yeah. So when I was looking to create a game, I mean, one of the things, I, I play tested for a lot of different companies, and I play a lot of different miniatures games. And one of the things that always bugged me is the fact that I'm stuck into what somebody else wants me to play. Like, there's characters that I love, but I'm never going to use those skills. So what we did is we looked at and we were like, well, so here are the six races that we want, and here's over 100 different skills. So we give you the mechanics to up and lower the attributes, basically, of these skill of these races, and then choose your own skills. You can choose your own weapons, create a little bit of your own backstory. And that's what makes your character. So that way you're not forced into doing it, into playing what somebody else wants you to play. You get to play with what you want to play. So all your models should fit your style of play, not something that I want you to play, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, definitely. So how did you go about um, how did you go about creating the the system in order to do that? Because I noticed you have a lot of different cards that are used. So you you'll make your character or your your your, your war band of characters, and then there's different cards that look like they're upgrades and things like that. Um, well, there's three different kinds of cards. There's your character cards that you're gonna that you're gonna use, and those are really for personalities. Although we'll put one online so you can make your own character from that too. And those are just like any other game right now that's using character cards. Okay. So the other two, the other mechanic for this game is you're not playing the scenario. Um, you've basically, your warband has been hired by a benefactor to go out and do something in the world. Um, so at the beginning of the game, do, have you ever played Ticket to Ride? Yes. yes, a little bit. Okay. So you know how you get, um, you get cards for that of, this is your. These are the rails that you're trying to get to. It's the same yeah. thing with parallax in a lot of ways. So you've got a contract card, and it's going to give you what. What is your mission, and do you accept it? And you've got a choice at the beginning of the game. You can. You get three cards. You can accept any of these or turn them away. And something will be like, kill the enemy war boss, you know, commander, um, claim the runic pool in the center of the table, um, have somebody in the enemy deployment zone. You know, three different cards. And if you succeed, you'll gain victory points. At the, or if you don't succeed, you'll lose victory points. So at the end of the game, you'll get to the. You, you have to decide then and turn them back in if you don't want them. And at the end of the game, you'll count up points of what you got or what you didn't get, and that's how you'll win or lose the game. So it is one hundred percent based on the contracts and how you go about acquire. I guess uh, completing those contracts. Correct. Awesome. So every game is going to be different. There, there's not, there's not really a standard for like, let's say somebody wants to set up a tournament of parallax. There's really not a standard for that. It's whatever the contracts are. That's what you got to do. Yeah, for tournaments, we'll set up a little bit of different rules. We'll be setting up actual scenarios that people will play. That way, because nothing's worse than going to a, a tournament and having no idea what you're doing because you don't know how to set up your your war band or anything like that. We played a, a GW tournament at a convention a long time ago and we and it, it throws off because at the end of the at the beginning of the tournament they're like, okay, you did this. Now give your list to somebody else. You're like, okay, I have no idea how to play this and I've prepared for weeks to play in a tournament. Nothing's worse <laughs> than that feeling. Yeah, I could understand that. Then there's times where I just go to tournaments with like okay, I'm gonna show up with my faction and be like, this is what I'm playing. What's up? And whatever <laughs> whatever the scenarios are, I just go into them, win or lose. Well, and that's the thing with Parallax. You're basically creating. If you play dungeon, if you played any RPG games at all, you're Lots. basically creating a war party. This is your this is your adventuring party, and go out there and do what you need to do. With it. Nice. So there's five different classes to pass. Um, so you've got your magic users, but you've got two different types of magic users. You've got good magic and bad magic. You've got your range guy. You've got your warrior. And then you've got your infiltrator, which is basically your thief. Cool. So you need and you need healers. Um, I think the other unique thing about this game is you don't have action points and you don't have the number of things you can do. You have exhaustion. So everything you do in the world will exhaust you. When you're walking is free, you get one you get one movement phase per turn or one movement action per turn, I should say. And then after that, swinging the sword could cost you two exhaustion points, and your character has a number of exhaustion points based on its stats. Okay. So 
if I want to shoot my bow three times, I can do it. And I can even push it to go over my exhaustion. But at the end of the turn, only so much exhaustion is going to come off. So the beginning of the next round, you're already going to start your character exhausted. Gotcha. So it carries from turn to turn. So you only get back so much exhaustion. So if you spend one round, just, you know, if you got that uh, a Minotaur fighter out there just going crazy and he tires out, you can keep going with him next round, but he's going to suffer some severe penalties because he didn't rest. He is. And he suffers penalties not only that round, but the rounds after. Because if you go over your exhaustion stat, you're suffering penalties on your dice too. And by the way, it's a D10 game because we thought it was – I like the D10 better than D6 because I like the percentages better. It makes sense. Nice, Sorry. fluffy, round numbers. <laughs> it makes it more fair when you're looking at you – have, you have a 10% chance of a 16% chance of everything. Um, the other one thing that I like different about this game, although I'm a little bit biased, is that um, as you take wounds, it affects your stats. So the number of dice you're going to roll for form, for example, is let's say you have a form of five, which means you're going to roll five dice against your target number of melee. Okay. If you take wounds, you get to decide where the wounds go, but let's say I take two wounds. That's two dice off of something. So if I take it both in my melee, instead of rolling five dice, I'm only going to be rolling three dice. Okay. So in a way, it's kind of like um, a wound track. So... As you get wounded based upon how you take those wounds, because I did read this in the rule book. So you've got three different stats. It's kind of like a, a body, mind, and spirit kind of feeling. Yeah. And that was actually the first three things we called it. Okay. <laughs> when we started out, it was body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. And then you changed them. So yeah. It, awesome. it evolved. Awesome. Yeah. So the the way that it works, according to what I was reading, is that you have your dice pool, which is based off, you know, if you're, if it's physical, it's pretty much your form. If it's mental, it's your awareness. And if it's spiritual or magical, it's your essence. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's pretty much right. Okay. So, and then you have a target number. So like if you, if you have a form of five and your melee is seven or your, your, your melee skill seven, you, you roll five dice. Any that end up seven or under are considered a success. Correct. Awesome. Okay, so I did understand that correctly. Sweet. So the, the rule book is totally not understand is understandable. That's yes. good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just with everything else I had going on this week, it was just like uh, reading more stuff. I was like, oh dear God. But uh, <laughs> so I did understand it right. Awesome. And, it, and then, it's not a small rule book either, so that makes it even worse. No, it is not. You have a lot of skills and a lot of different abilities in there, which is. Uh, I'm sure to some people at first can look a little intimidating, but uh, I did notice that everything does flow pretty seamlessly. So why don't you talk a little bit about the skills and how and how they work on your character and like how you improve your characters? Okay, uh, but if yeah, sorry, my, my mind is going like three different places. Totally fine, man. Um, so for skills themselves, so what you're going to do is when you build your character, every every race is different. So the Minotaur may have three attribute points and five skill points, for example. And every skill has its own cost when you buy it. It's called cost to learn. So there's one called well-honed weapon, which let's say you know you want your guy to be a melee, a melee brute. So you'd pick that one and a couple of charge spells, charge skills. And skills and spells are the same thing. We call them spells because only certain races can have them. 
but using a spell is the same thing as using a skill. So okay, you so buy the mechanics it. are all there. They're all the same. Yeah. Okay. And so when you learn it, it, it takes up a slot of your learning ability. And you can have up to as many skills as your primary attribute. And that's all explained in the book. And if people don't want to go that route, we also have pre-made characters called personalities, which people can play right out of the box. And kind of goes against that whole, hey, make it what you want it to be. But at least it gets people the primer of how to play and a quick start guide, basically. Yeah, so they have something kind of ready to go uh, straight out of the packaging, obviously with some assembly and paint and whatnot. And uh, it's a good way for them to start learning the rules. Yeah, and I know some of my friends, like they're like, well, I'm like, do you want to make characters? They're like, no, I just like to play the way it is. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And in tournaments, it's going to be a lot of that, too, because there's got to be a way to make sure that people aren't using... You know, you have five skill points and people are using 30 of them. Yeah, that's not true. There's got to be a way to check that, too, if you're playing in it in a competitive campaign. Um, but you'll get your skills. So as things go along, remember we talked about contract cards earlier, and you win or lose. On the right-hand side of the card is the number of skill points you're going to get. So if you complete your contract, you're going to gain three victory points, let's say, to help you win the game your warband's also going to get two skill points. So you pull these skill points together, and then you start buying new skills for your characters. Or a lot of times you can upgrade the skills to go into a, to a, just to a better skill. You can also okay. use skill points, save them up in a bank, and then increase uh, characters' attributes too. But after making your character to start with, it's going to take a while to start leveling up your character to higher levels. Awesome. So I think that, that that gives us a good gist of how the mechanics work. Obviously, yeah, we, we want everybody to go online, read the rules, you know, learn it yourself because, I, I mean, this is not a tutorial podcast. It's, it's you know, it's really there to help introduce everybody to the game. Now, one of the things I, I, I did want to ask is what size board is it played on? Three foot by three Because I don't foot. think I caught that. It's, yeah, and I'm, I'll make sure that's in the rules. You know, because the simple things like that when you're going over making the rules – Sometimes you forget the basics, like, oh, what size board should it be played on? What dice do you use? Um, but it's a three-foot board. Okay. So typical three-foot by three-foot. Is it a lot of terrain, a little bit of terrain? How does that work out? I'd say at least ten pieces. Um, because there's only so many models on the table and a few at most, you really want enough pieces on the board to give your, your guys cover protection. But I hate archery, so that could be it for me. <laughs> so for you, it's a lot of stuff that yeah. models just can't be seen behind. Yeah, I Let hate range combat. You. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I, now the one of the, the things that's really, really unique about your game, and I know you and I talked about it quite a bit, and it's something that I appreciate, is the fact that it these races are 100% yours. There are no dwarves. There are no elves. There are no gnomes. There's nothing that links it to really to classical fantasy outside of like the Minotaur. Yeah. Okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit about those? Um, ooh. Uh, when we were looking to make the game, we want, I wanted something that it wasn't, everything is a human-based world. And, I mean, that's again with the miniatures that we went with. It's, and this is a monster's world. And we looked for cool things that, like, what would be out of the ordinary? Like, you don't see a lot of elephant races. Or magic users. We don't see a lot of minotaurs. The cat guys are cool, but you don't see a lot of them. So we really did look at what we don't see a lot of and go for that. And it, 
this all started in 1994 when we were doing a card game. We were working on a card game, and these are the races that came out of the card game, and then they just slowly transformed into the miniatures game itself. Nice. So, so th- this is concepts you've been working on for quite some time. You weren't just like, hey, let's throw in some cat and dog people. No. No. 21 – wow, 21 years ago, we started the card game idea, probably 22 years ago, because – and we got it almost out to market, and then some bad stuff happened, and we weren't able to get it there. Um, I mean, that was before the days of Kickstarter, when you're using Diamond and stuff like that to do pre-orders to show the bank that you could have enough pre-orders to pay back your loans. Um, the pre-crowdfunding days. Um, <laughs> so we did it like that, and we had, I mean, it was a card game, so we can do a lot more. But we had else. But in the final world, we're like, but there's so many people who are doing that. Why do we want to repeat the wheel? Why do we – we don't need to recreate that. It's already there. So, Right, and which makes sense. Ne- I mean you, your models are very unique in that aspect where it's like you could have an entire faction of Minotaurs or you can do mix and match in between. Yeah, you can – and again, that goes with point costs on the board too. Like every race is going to have its own point cost. So the, the Minotaurs are your tanks, which are really awesome, and they're also really good spellcasters, but they're also really expensive point-wise to put on the board. Whereas humans, I mean, yeah, they're going to die quickly, but they're pretty cheap to put on the board. So it, it's easier to put 10 humans on the board than it is to put one Minotaur sometimes. Well, three humans on the board. Nice. And then nice. one Minotaur. Um, so, I mean, that goes against game balance and, and to how you want to build your own warband because it is – customizable to you okay cool so yeah let's talk a little bit more detail about some of the races then so like the kayak or the dog warriors um what do they kind of specialize in like what what are the is there certain things that the different races are really good at doing compared to others yeah every race has its own speciality um so we the dog warriors for example are a pack animal so you put one dog out on the board it's an okay fighter it's it's mid-range fighter you know, you're not going to do a lot with it, but you put two or three on the board. Now you've got a pack animal. So the attack is they've got an ability called teamwork, which gives them additional bonuses to their target numbers. And they've got pack animal, which gives them extra dice if they're on the same target. So you really want to put two or three of those out going at the same place at the same time. You've got your Sicarius warriors, which are your cat guys who are like cats. They're more of your infiltrators. They're the sneaky guys. They can get across the board really quickly. And then also each race itself can only choose certain paths. So you're not going to get – you're not going to have – be able to get the Minotaur infiltrator. It's just not what they do. Right. They're not very good at hiding. Yeah, you're not going to say, hey, look. Look at that mountain over there. Why does it keep moving? Not, not really cool for gameplay. Um, so <laughs> you've got each race who can do its own thing and it does it really well. And that's why we did it like that. Humans, on the other hand, can do pretty much anything because they're the versatile race. So they're not really pigeonholed as much, whereas most things have two or three classes they can go to. The humans, I think, have all four or five of them. Gotcha. So, so the, mini- the Minotaurs are like your up-close-and-personal and bruisers. Yeah, they're the ones who are going to get you there. Like They're the ones who everybody is going to attack so the rest of your people can go up. They're your tank. Uh, your Hodgin is going to be your basically your magic user. So they go down quickly. If in a hand-to-hand fight, they die quick. But they should never be in a hand-to-hand fight because they're the magic user. They're also your healer. 
Okay. Uh, the Sicarius Sikari- also have another cool thing called a totem, which they can place, which is basically a 30 millimeter, you know, uh, just marker, which lets them do different things. They can buy it, which increases their awareness, gives them stealth. There's one that heals all things that, for three inches around them. So it gives them a little bit different battle tactics on the field itself. Okay, so they, they almost have like different things they can place out there that are going to boost their abilities. They just Correct. have to get to them. Yep. Okay, and they cool. get, and, and it just costs exhaustion points to place them down. So, again, we talked about exhaustion earlier, and like you said, it's not a tutorial. But so if you put down an exhaust, you know, you put down your totem, it costs you two exhaustion, and then you shoot twice. I mean, you've really improved your rank chances of hitting, and the next turn you've got your awareness out there, the totem out there, because it doesn't go away until it's killed. Right. Awesome. Okay. So the totem and stays out there on that one. Okay. Yeah. I, had, I had to make a note on that one because I did remember seeing – totems in the book and i was actually going to ask you how they're used because i didn't quite get that part of it and again it was to anybody listening it's not that the, the rule book that he's got out is printed oh. bad it's just i had a hell of a week so and me in any type of a comprehension just was not there for the most part so then i noticed you have two it looks like two different races of human we do we have a, a devoid and a tier so the devoid we're stuck on the the planet without magic so they've had to develop without magic. So when, when the, the other one is a tier who are pure magical creatures, pure magical humans. So um, when the world was together, the tier were basically the protectors of the devoid, who were the builders. But once they left, the devoid had to become warriors. And the tier who were used to being powerful creatures on the other world were really powerful magic users, but then became enslaved by the Hodgin. Oh, wow. So, so the Hodgins just basically years, were, were like, well, we do magic just almost. as well, but we're smaller than you? Or, Sorry? Tim, you're breaking up. I can't hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. So when when the world shifted and the tier who are normally like really powerful with magic, the Hodgin themselves were like, yeah, we're also good at magic, so therefore we're bigger than you, so you now belong to us. Is that kind of how it ended up working? Um, well, sort of. I mean, it, it, the tier didn't know how to control their powers, so the Hodgin helped them control their powers. But in the long run, they not only helped them control their powers, but they controlled them too. So, gotcha. It came from a, a mentor relationship to basically a, a slave relationship, owner-slave relationship. Oh, wow. Okay. And the, the Kayads were um, – the magic users for the Kayads and the regular – before the split, they were the alphas. They were the controllers of the pack. When the magic happened and the split happened, all the, all the magic using kayads were pulled over to the other realm, leaving the kayads, you know, a pack animal without a leader, became very disarrayed and then became very warrior-like, not knowing what they were doing or who took away their leaders, and they were just looking for revenge. So, so in a way, they almost started, became savage. They did become savage, and it started a war with humans and all the other races that were left behind. So just that's a little bit of the back history of the game before the, before the split, which we don't really talk a lot about in the game because it's really about the here and now, not about the past. Gotcha. Which makes sense. That's awesome. So we've, we've covered the races. We've covered some of the rules. Uh, we all know now that it's a three by three board. So, you know, the more we know on that, um, what do you kind of have planned for the future? Like, what do you, what do you, 
what do you see evolving for the game? Like, be it organized play, stuff for stores, tournaments. Do you, do you already have some ideas on that or something that you've already started working on? Well, we definitely want – we'd love it in stores. I mean, you and I have talked in length about that. And how do you go from Kickstarter to in-store with the gluttony of games out there right now? So yeah. that's definitely one of our plans in the future is to get into stores so we can get in front of more people because we really want to build a community around the game. I mean, good games aren't built by the rules and the models themselves. They're built by the people who play them. So that's one of our core tenets. It's a, a game is a game. It's the people you have playing it that make it a community, which is what you want. Um, yes, very like, much so. Tournament plays, we'd love that. Organized play, we definitely want all those things to happen so that it can continue to grow and continue. We want it to be a great game. And we understand there's 100 games out there right now that people like to play, and we don't want you to stop playing any other games for ours. We just want to be in your rotation of games. And then I, I hopefully we, we've earned that, or we will earn that. Um, yeah. So the future after that, as we get this set up, is this is – part of a system, not just a game. So we have the skirmish system here. The next part of it is taking your characters and putting them into the role-playing game, which is the next version of this game. And what you'll be able to do is take your characters that you're creating here and move them into your role-playing game as your RPG character. Or take your RPG character that you create in this and move it into the skirmish game. So that it goes both ways. So it will all be compatible in the end. Correct. And then after that, the next part of it would be taking this and going to a large-scale game, more like a, a war, uh, Warhammer Fantasy. Not Sigmar, but the old days of Warhammer Fantasy, like 8th edition. So rank-and-file troops and uh, bringing it back to movement trays and things of that nature? Um, I'm not sure we're going to go that far, but yeah, kind of. But these characters will end up being your leaders in the big in the big world. I was actually just about to ask that is, is your character going to, you know, evolve into the leaders of your fantasy army then? Exactly. So you'll be able to use, and all the skills will be a little bit different, but yet compatible. And you'll only get skills in certain games that you can then move over to this game. So it's, it's a three prong game, which can get, which, but everything comes back into one. Okay, cool. So that that definitely helps kind of round it out. So you, eventually, you will have options for everybody. It doesn't matter if they they're guys that want skirmish games, guys that want RPG, guys that want a mass battle game. You're going to have a little bit of everything represented with Parallax. That's the goal. Yes, yes, we are. And and I take it at that point, that, it won't be on a three by three. It'll jump to a six by four once you go to that big battle size. Correct. That's the plan. That's what, uh, that's the number we're using right now, anyway. Um, and then those would be – you'd be using more of your championship models for those, which is, again, why we went with the championship size. And then your skirm, your regular troop – ranking troop guys would be the 28 millimeters. Okay, cool. So ultimately, for those for those that are listening, with the 35 mil size, those – you're hoping that those will stand out more as your champion models in the mass battle game. So that way it's – you have that big, impressive leader on the field. Even if he is considered like another Hajen or another Kayat or even another tier, yes, they'll be taller, but it's because they're that much more impressive. That they should stand out on the battlefield. Correct. That's awesome. I really like that a lot. It adds a little Thank something you. unique to the game to where, you know people people aren't like 
shoehorned into saying, well, if I've got 35 mils and my opponent has 28s, um, they can't be used together. Or, you know, if I've got a couple 35 mils and the, the other models I find in store are only 28s that I shouldn't buy them because it won't work. No, and all the models work together anyway. When we're doing the scaling, we made sure they were on a standard 50, 40, and 30 millimeter basis. And that way, if you've got a 28 millimeter Minotaur or a 30 or 70 millimeter Minotaur, they work together because it uses a uh, area of what they're supposed to go, not not actual physical size of the model itself. Oh, okay, so nice. it's based off like a standard of volume. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't want to say that, I, but yes, it is. <laughs> it's a one and a half, two and a half, and three and a half inch volume. Okay, cool. So, 30, 40, 50 millimeter. Yeah, that was one of the things I was asking Tim about was uh, when when I was first looking at it, I'm like, well, what if I have the big 35 millimeter guys and somebody has the 28 millimeter guys? Am I at a disadvantage when I'm playing against them and the missions and all that? But if their basing and stuff like that is the same... Yeah, there's yeah, really not you're a not disadvantage. Yeah, because you're all looking at the same. That, that's one of the reasons that when we were able to go from big to small or small to big, we were able to keep the same rules because it's not fair to somebody who says, "Well, I want a really big Minotaur, but I really want the small one." If we're not to, to have a disadvantage in game because of the models, I don't. That, it just didn't seem fair to me. No, I mean, again, coming back to it, like you're making miniatures. It's people buy miniatures that they find to be cool. You know, unless they're complete gamists and they'll, they don't care what the miniature looks like. It could be a turn on a 30 millimeter base. As long as that miniature in game is amazing, they don't care. But for a lot of the miniatures people out there, any most people that start a game, they start because they found miniatures that looked cool. And you don't ever want to take out that cool factor. I, I agree. That's why, That's why I, I keep buying stuff. And, and, uh, confrontation, because I love the look of those models. Ah, uh, yes, the Wolfen. If you only saw the size of my collection, so it's uh it's it's insane. That was like pretty much the only faction I ever played in confrontation. Not to get off topic, but uh I know what you're talking about when it came time to those models that were just big and just looked cool. It didn't matter what they were doing. Yeah, I mean the models themselves may have been horrible on the field, but I mean they were just so cool looking that you had to get them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So the 35 and the 28 millimeter scales work together without an issue. Excellent. So I, I did see that you, so you shot us some uh, 3D renders and whatnot as like a sneak peek. And I noticed you got some stuff up on the website that looks like it might still be in the 3D sculpting process, but you've got some alternate sculpts for a lot of different miniatures. So You've got your standard Minotaur, and then you've got on here what's called Minotaur 3 and 4. So you've got one that's like charging forward with double axes. And you've got right. one that actually is in the midst of casting a spell, and the spell's wrapping around itself. This is the one that I saw that I really liked, was the Minotaur yeah. Spellcaster. Yeah, he's so, pretty darn cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, the, I mean, the idea was originally to have enough models that you could play whatever you want. I mean, I'm not sure with our funding that's going to happen as much as we'd like it to. But we've still got over, I think, 16 different models out there right now. So you'll yeah, be able to customize. a warband size game, that's perfect. I mean, especially since you don't have 
factions. You're you're building an adventuring party. I think that's that's a very decent start. Yeah, I think you know I think every company goes, wow, I'd love to have sixty models out there right now. But I mean, at some point you've got to think about economics of how much does each one of these cost to make. And if you're not crowdfunded or anything yet, you're really doing it out of your own pocket. And how does that work? It becomes a nightmare is how it works, but uh, I only knew that know that just from dealing with it in the industry itself. So I, I totally get it. It can create some marital challenges. <laughs> Without going into too much detail on that, I can imagine. I can definitely imagine. So uh, I, I take it like – Speaking of which, you know, kind of going on a little bit of a personal level, I take it that the family's been pretty supportive of your project. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, my my wife has been very supportive. She's not a gamer at all and doesn't really do any of this. But I mean, she knows that you know we we put the baby to bed, and then for the next two, three, four hours, my time spent on the computer writing rules or working on the game in some way or another. So I mean, at two in the morning when she's like, "Why aren't you in bed yet?" She knows that. <laughs> I'm down here working. So she's supportive of that for sure. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Cause I've always wondered about that on that end. You know, I, I, you know, not to get off subject, I've been writing my own rule set it myself, but I've been trying to do it like when nobody else is around, kind of like, you know, you know <laughs> keep, keep keeping it buried away and locked away until I can finally like spend that solitaire time to do it. But that's awesome that she's been very supportive on that. Yeah. So no, uh, she's doing, you know, she's doing her best. That's for sure. So <laughs> yeah, I can imagine uh, there's a couple of things probably during the whole Kickstarter campaign. She's probably been a little geeked out because you're geeked out and I can see that. She, uh, she's happy that it's over. <laughs> Very happy that that part of my life is over. And now I can start just concentrating on, on the, on the game itself and not my mood will hopefully go into a, a solid state of, what I am and not going up and down like the roller coaster. Yeah, I can imagine that had to be, <laughs> that probably by itself had to be trying. Yeah. It, it awesome. was definitely trying for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually something I, I was, I was thinking about and kind of joking with Nick about a little bit about like a future episode of like war gamers. Here's their wives. Let them just sit there and rip us apart over a podcast and just, Give everybody a taste of what happens when you still do this hobby and you're married. So. Yeah. It's definitely yeah, a challenge. Yeah, come for about an hour. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Or a glass of wine or three or bottles. Yeah. <laughs> they might just go through a couple bottles in an hour. Yeah, oh, no boy. doubt. So, so, so the, the skull, one I sent you the yesterday, skull. the render, we, I sent you a, a preview of the new uh, Sicarius, which is yes. the uh, if, the infiltrator. Yes, the one that's popping out of the smoke. Yeah. Now, so, you haven't put that one up on the Kickstarter page yet. No, because it's not finalized yet. It's just kind of a, a work in progress I wanted to share because I really love – it was a concept that I had that I was sharing with the artist. And I'm, I'm like, so I really – because to do an infiltrator, I'm like, well, what do you do? Without making him look like Batman wrapped in a cloak, how do you make it seem that – Okay, this is this is your your infiltrator. This is your your stealthy guy who's going to come out of nowhere and stab you in the back. Yeah, so very much so. So the idea was instead of doing that, let's do the coming out of smoke. You know, popping up out of nowhere, basically. And the original idea was to have, which you, it, it's a good idea, 
but game wise, it would be hard to have like a devoid or something like that in front of him and him ready to stab him. Yeah, I could see where that would be confusing on the table because uh, people might think that it's one bottle when it's entirely a different one altogether. So for those of you that are listening, you, Nick and I saw a uh, an early render of a Sicarius that is not up on the Kickstarter page. Uh, that is, he's got two daggers raised above his head, and he's kind of popping out of the smoke. So you see the upper half of his body, and it and it looks like he's coming out of like a smoky shadow, ready to just stab somebody twice in the neck. It looks really, really cool. Hopefully, you guys get a chance to see that soon. Yeah, and we can always share the work in progress too, if you want on your page. Cool. So if that is the case, yeah, if you don't mind just putting it up on the page, I'm sure Nick and I will get that up uh, right when the episode goes up, too. So that way people can see it, because that was definitely a very, very impressive model to me. It kind of goes back to the the same Minotaur, the one that's uh, got the (coughs) elemental. So for those of you that that get a chance, look at the Kickstarter page going down. You're going to notice Minotaur three and four. The one on the right is a spellcaster that's wrapping the spell around his body, and it looks like, I forget exactly what it looks like, but the spell itself is not just like a fireball. There's actually like a face in it, like a demon's head. Yeah, he's shooting off another minotaur, basically, a minotaur fireball. Yes, and uh, it looks like he's about to throw a minotaur hadoken. It's actually really funny, because right before you sent me that picture initially, I I had a little bit of downtime at work, I was waiting on some stuff to get done, and I pulled up a Street Fighter video for Street Fighter V. So I literally just got done watching this clip of Ryu throwing his uh, Shinku Hadoken, which is his big fireball. And then you, the moment it ends, you send me that picture of the Minotaur throwing a Minotaur Hadoken, which I was just like, okay, I really want that model now. It's all, the, all the signs are spelled out for me. When the sculptor was talking, I'm like, so how are you going to do the fireball again? He goes, well, imagine Hadoken. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's exactly the way he explained it to me, too. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That's So, awesome. yes, if anybody out there plays miniature games and plays fighting games, you will recognize the stance immediately. Oh. Only it's being done by a minotaur. Throwing another minotaur on fire. I think you need to make a special rule now that you actually have to shout it out and it gets a bonus. Yeah, throw in some old school Age of Sigmar where... If it doesn't happen unless you shout it, yeah, let's stay away from Major Sigmar. <laughs> <laughs> no, not it, it. Doesn't have to be Age of Sigmar. It, it's just like if you declare a wog, you have to declare it. We have one rule in the game called "Dude, really." Um, where if, <laughs> when, you, when you're rolling your dice, if they roll off the table, it's an automatic miss because if you can't hit the table, you can't hit your opponent. That was the rule. So you don't have to say dude, really, but it's a lot more fun if you do it. Dude, really? Somebody finally put the dice off the table in a rule book. That's that, That's kind of awesome. Yeah, definitely. I, I do remember seeing that one and kind of chuckling a little bit because I, I can't tell you how many times I've either said that out loud or said it to myself as I'm watching somebody to grab a handful of dice and rolling them, and they scatter to the four winds and they lose five of them. And, yeah, and it's funny, and I haven't seen as much as when we're doing the uh, demos at tournament at conventions and stuff like that. Every time we come back, I'm losing like three or four dice. And I'm like, how does that happen? And people aren't taking them; they're just dropping them on the floor as they roll. And I'm like, you've only got like because you're only rolling the amount of dice 
of your stat. And I'm like, so I'm usually not rolling more than six or seven dice at a time. So how are you missing these tables on like five or six dice sometimes? Dude, really? <laughs> so thinking back to that, it kind of, I'm getting this visual in my head of like all the lost dice that happens in conventions. And I'm just thinking about the guys that are sweeping up the halls after Gen Con in the amount of dice they have to pick up. Oh, no doubt. It's yeah, like, like people who work on a golf course, the amount of golf balls they get. I'm just thinking about that, and I'm like, that it has to be a staggering amount. Probably a good 20 pounds worth of dice are lost every year at Gen Con. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. At Gen Con? I yeah. mean, that's not even talking about the, the miniatures rooms. That's just the floor itself. Yeah, that's because there's so, how many games out there that use dice? That, you know, yes, miniatures use way more than any other game out there, but how many games out there use dice? So oh. I could just, the thought is staggering to me. Yeah. Easily, yeah. So one I, of the other models I did see on the page that I wanted to bring up, because I, this is probably one of my personal favorites, aside from the uh, Ryu Minotaur is your Hodgin number two, the one that's got the two flails and he's charging forward. Yeah, that's a pretty cool one. That's yeah, so I take it he, so his personality is probably built to be a little bit tankier than your typical Hodgin, which is your spellcaster. Right. So when you're building it, you, you, you've got your three attributes, which we talked about earlier. So you can definitely, these aren't ever going to be really melee guys, but I mean, he can get in there and do some really good damage. They've got a, a special ability because the three attributes are form, awareness, and essence. And like you talked about earlier, it's really form is for melee, uh, awareness is for defense and, and shooting, and essence is for your mystical abilities. Well, Hajin have the ability to use their mystical abilities as also their fighting ability too. So he's going to come in there and he's going to do like seven or eight da- damage dice of damage on you, but he's going to still go down pretty quickly. But so he's going to be more of a glass cannon. A tank. Or not, a DPS. Yeah, he'll, he'd be closer to your DPS. But, I mean, but once he gets into da- damage, into battle, he's going to do some nasty damage, but then he's going to die pretty quick. All right, then. So, basically just paint him bloody to start, because that's what's going to happen regardless. Yeah, he's going to be basically your missile. He and, definitely looks well, already pissed off, so... He's going to be a very <laughs> slow missile, because they only move three inches at a time, but he's a missile. Nice. <laughs> so he's more of a hand grenade. He's not quite a missile, more of a hand grenade. <laughs> yeah, kind of. A very slowly thrown hand grenade. But with but with a couple minotaurs around him, and he still has his magical abilities too. So with a couple <laughs> minotaurs around him and stuff like that, he's going to get in there and do some nasty damage. And then one of my favorite models... Is the Kayad three, which is the Kayad with the crossbows? Yes, I saw this one. I, I was just looking at this one a moment ago when we were uh, talking about the alt sculpts, and uh, it's really cool because it kind of it kind of gives like a like a dog warrior kind of a John Woo feel. He's got crossbows in both directions. He's kind of looking back over one shoulder, which yeah. fits with these guys because they're so wild. I can't I can't see them as like somebody who's like really focusing on a shot. He's just like well. If I can't hit with one crossbow, maybe I'll hit with two. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not really good archers. They can do archery, but they're not really good at it. So, it, you know, it, it takes skill to be an archer. Right, uh, so for them, it is about volume. 
It really is. But then again, the exhaustion goes to the point with the game mechanics that you're not limited to one shot. If you've got exhaustion and it costs you two exhaustion, depending on the size of the boat, to shoot it, you can shoot it like maybe three, four times and still and get off a good, good couple of shots. Whereas, you know, the game isn't saying, no, you can only shoot it once, but then you're going to suffer in the long run. Gotcha. Yeah, which makes sense. And then, uh, so going into some more of the alt sculpts, you've got uh, another Hajen, Hajen number three, just kind of like the stoic. He, he almost looks like he, he's wearing like a Roman style armor with a, a giant mace. Yeah. Or in this case, Morningstar. It's more spiky, so it's definitely a giant Morningstar. Yeah, somebody online called him Barbar on steroids. <laughs> oh, yeah, that totally fits. It really does. It does. And when That's we were awesome. playtesting, when we were doing the original playtest, we had the playtest cards. I, I named the elephant Barbar, and somebody <laughs> came back and goes, "That's offensive. You can't call him Barbar." And I'm like, oh, "But he's an elephant. How can you not call him Barbar?" Yeah. So he's one. Of, he's a really cool one. He's going to look good, and he can also be a magic user too. So it's funny because the Hajin is really our magic using race, and yet right now we only have one magic using figure for it. Yeah, I was. I didn't want to say anything about that, but I did find it a little funny. You've got one guy; he's like the magic using race. He's got a little bit of a flame in his hand and a giant scimitar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really... that's because he's just that badass. He doesn't need to show off. Yeah, he doesn't need to pull off a minotaur hadoken. Exactly. But it's also like from a model standpoint, it's hard to show really good magic users unless you put like a hat and a and a, and a staff in them to say, "Hey, this is a this is a wizard." I mean. It's hard to show magic, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it could be. It could definitely be hard because uh, I think at this point, anybody who's played any type of a miniatures game on the planet has probably seen enough miniatures where it's like you clearly tell it's a wizard because it's some old dude or some old lady in robes with a staff. Yeah, but on the board itself, how do you show that without something like that? I mean, if you look at going back to the miniatures, if you look at the tier number one. Yeah, I mean. That's it's a human, and she's got like this magical ability going from one hand to the other hand. Yeah, so you almost have to put like the energy in there to show it, or even like tier so, number two, which is uh, the guy standing there with the crystal ball in the sight. Like you get an idea, this guy's doing some magic stuff. Yeah, and the mullet. Yeah, and the mullet. <laughs> Gotta have mullets because I would totally paint that to look like nineties uh, time cop Van Dam. <laughs> I'm just saying, I would. I was thinking well, Joe Dirt. Was calling it Captain Planet, which I thought was really funny. Oh, God, now that you're making that comparison, I can totally see that. Yep. <laughs> so is it wrong that I'm making fun of my own miniatures? Which I love, No, by not the way. at all. Now the crystal ball has become a globe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to paint him blue and red, blue and uh, orange and go for the uh, gold and go for the Lakers look and make that a basketball. <laughs> That would be awesome. Gonna be my own little Laker for for the rebuilding of our of our wonderful franchise here in LA. <laughs> so, and then, of course, you've got the Devoid, which look like uh, just double axe wielding psychopaths, which I appreciate. Sorry, I, I I didn't hear you. I said then you also have the Devoid, which are basically a bunch of double axe wielding psychopaths, which I really appreciate. 
Yeah, they really are the barbarian race. And there are, like somebody was asking me, where are the women? I'm like, well, there could be women in the race right now. I mean, the Hodgin magic user. I, I, I call her a woman. I call that one a woman. They're, they're animals. For the most part, you can't tell if they're men or women. Right. That, again, you've got 16 miniatures out there. Like, give them some time, folks. Give them some time. Yeah, and the tier, we did a tier female. And the thing about, and I, I may be in a minority here, but I wanted to do females that actually weren't offensive to females. Oh, so, so you're staying away from cheesecake. Yeah, I didn't want to have her wearing the armor that covers nothing but but like a little, like a bra. It didn't make sense to me to have a miniatures game like that. I mean, I understand that my demographics want that, so maybe I should. But I also want to be sensitive to the fact that it should be realistic in gameplay too. So I yeah, actually, I, I actually, Sorry? for Frostgrave, I went a little while back, and I'm like, you know what? I have this concept. I want to, I want a sorceress. She's, you know, the leader. Some other details, and I went looking. And it's it's freaking hard. It took forever to find a female magic user that wasn't wearing a bikini or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And again, that goes back to the family thing, too. When I'm painting miniatures or when I'm doing miniatures, I want something that I'm not like, oh, my son walked into the room. Let me hide my miniature. Yeah, I can see that. I've run into that a few times. You know, I... Yeah. I I was painting some models up for Dark Age. Oh, God, what was it? Two years ago at this point. And uh, there was this one miniature. And Dark Age is based, for those of you who don't know, it's based on like the, originally based on the concept work of Brom, which very much has like this gothic, somewhat pinup feel to it. And I remember painting up this miniature and I was more impressed about the fact that I did a reddish to white skin tone that looked believable. So I go out and I show my wife, Dana. And I was like, Babe, look at look at the skin tone. Like I, I'm surprised it came out that well. And she looks at it and goes, "Why can you see your nipples?" And I was like, "Oh, that's fantastic." So, yeah, uh, I, I totally understand the appreciation of wanting to cover some women up a little bit in a miniature game. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gotten that reaction if she was a little bit more clothed. Yeah, I, I love Kingdom Death. Yeah, but I can't. But I can't bring those models home. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You, you got kids. You're a family man. I, I, I totally get it. So so when I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, because I, I mean, I love to paint stuff too. And stuff that, you know, I probably shouldn't be painting sometimes. But I'm looking, going, but there has to be an equal opportunity here too. So I'm, I really want female miniatures that don't look like they just stepped out of, you know, a, a cover of a, of, a, of a comic book. Oh, yeah, totally. I get it. Awesome. So, so we only got a couple minutes left. We always try to keep this to about an hour. Is there anything else you want to throw out there? Like, your Kickstarter just ended. You funded. You did great. Do you have a late backer? Because I'm sure we're going to get those questions quite a bit. Are you, do you have a late backer pledge that you're setting up for anybody that has to jump into it? So in about a week, we're going to have backer kit set up. About a week to two weeks, we're going to have backer kit set up. So if people want to get in now, and we're still already getting the emails like, ooh, I forgot the deadline was yesterday. How do I get in now? Well, you can't get in, sadly, because Kickstarter ended. So backer kit will allow you to, to still get the models. We're still going to be doing a lot of those deals without the Kickstarter exclusives on backer kit. So, yes, you'll still be able to buy and you'll still be able to get it. We're still going to offer a lot of the really great deals, just not the Kickstarter-only models. Okay, so the Kickstarter exclusives, yes, because – 
The way Kickstarter works, for those of you that know, a Kickstarter exclusive is something that he had to build specifically to make it more attractive for people to use Kickstarter. So it it's not a matter of like, he just doesn't want to release these models to you ever. It's just Kickstarter kind of has some weird wonky things they do in the background in order to make their service a little bit more affordable. And one of those is through exclusives. Yeah. So it, it just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's not, it's not him trying to pull a fast one on any of you that are going to jump in at a later date. It's just, it kind of is what it is. It falls into that. Damned if you do, damned if you don't category, unfortunately. Yeah. And the Patrick Keith devoid is, is a Kickstarter exclusive. And I mean, it's a beautiful model, but the other Devoid's great too. So they're both really great models. But the kick, the Devoid one we put on there to you know originally to say, hey, you know what? Thank you for backing us. And here's something you're only going to get if you back us now. The other, the other models are just as good. It's just this is what you got if you backed it through Kickstarter. But the backing kit should be up in two weeks. Awesome. Awesome. So we definitely got to look forward to that. And the moment that gets up, make sure that you send me all the info on it so I can make sure that I let all the, all the listeners know as well. We definitely oh, want to see this game succeed. We want to see it grow. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate your time. Hey, no problem, man. Um, Nick, is there anything else you want to throw in there before we go? I know that uh, this definitely is a game that you've been looking at quite a bit. Had some questions about it when we started talking. Uh, no, actually, I was I was totally going to ask, um, you know, since I was one of those ones that went, oh, hey, yeah, uh, you know, remind me, and then it reminded me, and then I forgot to, you know, back it. When can I back it? So back Now kit. you can, damn it. Get on the backer kit when it's ready to go. Exactly. And then the other thing we'd like to do is in-store distribution, going back to that for a second is when we deliver, we'd like to use the model of you can have it delivered to your house or we're looking for brick-and-mortar stores where we can have it delivered and people can go and pick it up and then give an incentive for you to go to your brick-and-mortar stores because we definitely don't want to cut them out of this process. Very smart. Very, very smart. I'm glad you're thinking of that one. So that'll be one of the best. When, when we send out the surveys, we'll say, hey, do you have a local store that you'd rather pick it up at? And then we'll send it to your local store instead. That's awesome. Also, That's... If you don't want your wife to see all the Kickstarter stuff you're getting. <laughs> Another very, very smart thing to have happen to any of you listening out there that are worried about your wallets and what's going on in them. All right, man. Well, I can keep talking for a long, long time, but we do got to get this wrapped up. So Parallax just ended on Kickstarter, funded successfully. The backer kit will be up soon. We'll have some from everything that was being done, we're going to have some exclusive artwork that'll be up on our Facebook page here in, uh, I don't know, Nick, what do you think? And probably a little bit and, uh, definitely check it out when it comes out. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. So I stopped my recording on this side.